but it's all about staying well getting well and being better and being happier so no matter what you have going on whether you have a diagnosis whether your organization is struggling or whether actually you just want to make sure you're on the right track and ahead of the curve and and keeping people motivated and happy positive psychology is for everybody hello and welcome to the melting pot i'm your host dominic monkhouse The melting pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The melting pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Dr. Vicky Barnes. Vicky is a clinical psychologist. She spent 10 years working in the NHS delivering psychology services to patients with mental health issues. And then she stepped out of that world and joined Virgin, where she designed and led a national well-being program. She also worked alongside Virgin staff in the Virgin Islands in 2018 after there was a hurricane, Hurricane Irma. And in 2019, keeping the NHS and Virgin as clients, she set up her own business called Positive Wellbeing. And so what she tries to do is bring the science of clinical psychology, of positive psychology to those organizations she works with and tries to help them get the best from their people. So we talk a little bit about the Google program, Project Aristotle, and how do you build psychological safety in the workplace? How do you get people into flow? How do you get people to be authentic and bring them best selves to work? She does this work now through speaking and coaching and workshops and so on. So I thought it was fantastic. I came across Vicky. I went to a conference. It was great to get out and about again. So I went down to uh, Like Minds in Exeter a few months ago, saw Vicky speak and thought, fantastic i'd love to get her on the podcast and have the opportunity to learn from her directly so i'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation as much as i did hi i'm dr vicky barnes i'm a clinical psychologist and i specialize in positive psychology which is the science of human flourishing really and how to be our best and i've worked for many years in the nhs so i've worked for over 10 years as a clinical psychologist with patients with various mental health difficulties and helping them through assessment and intervention and talking therapies and the kind of thing that you would expect a clinical psychologist to be doing. And then I had a really great opportunity, moved on for a few years to work with leadership teams around embedding positive psychology into organizations. And I was working with Virgin at that time. So I worked with Virgin for a few years and and did this huge switch from clinical work to organizational psychology work but still using positive psychology to help people be their best but it went from mental ill health to positive psychology in the workplace and then three years ago just over three years ago now I set up my own business which is called positive well-being 
and that's all about organizational wellness so so effectively it's an organizational well-being consultancy so I work with organizations across industries now across the globe really excitingly and Virgin and the NHS are, are both my clients which is fantastic so I kept a really good relationship with them and I work with education with health with the police with the military estate agents agriculture all kinds of organizations law it, it really is for everybody because it's about people and it's about well-being and it's about being happy in the workplace so that's that's where I've come from and what I do now fantastic so if I'm a CEO in Australia what is the problem that I pick up my pick up the phone to talk to Vicky Barnes about so there are three things that people tend to ask me to do but it's much more varied than this but that could be an hour-long conversation itself so (laughs) so the things that I'm generally asked to do are to embed a positive culture so it might be around change or something that's difficult but it's all about moving forwards positively and that can be through workshops um, for all staff or it can be focus groups for a particular group of people who are influencers or leaders in an organization we also get asked to do one-to-one coaching that's normally executive coaching when the execs or leaders really want to hone their own skills in order to snowball that into the organization to embed it themselves and they want to learn more about how to do that so that's about an education and I also get asked to do speaking events which I really enjoy which is more of a a bite-sized inspirational session so there might be a leadership event or an away day or a CPD event and they just want somebody to come and inspire and motivate it's all about happiness it's all about positivity it's all about mindset and resilience and change and things like that. Positive psychology for people who don't know what that is, how would you sum up positive psychology or the positive psychology movement? Yeah, great question. So I compare it to clinical psychology a bit because people have heard about things like CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, or maybe NLP, neurolinguistic programming, or family therapy, couples counseling. So that's all the kind of the broadly the clinical side of things so that's when you have a problem and then you go and speak to somebody to try and get rid of some symptoms or to try and alleviate a problem positive psychology is at the opposite end of the scale really so that there doesn't even have to there might be a problem or there might not be a problem but it's all about staying well getting well and being better and being happier so no matter what you have going on whether you have a diagnosis whether your organization is struggling or whether actually you just want to make sure you're on the right track and ahead of the curve and and keeping people motivated and happy it positive psychology is for everybody so it's really moving from a very symptom based negative reactive model of mental health to a proactive preventative model of of well-being and health okay and in a business context is there a positive benefit or does it show up as getting ahead of problems the positive benefits that people have reported to me so far um, and feel free to check this out on my website because I've got some testimonials and things and stories on there which is great but it's things like people are more productive um when when an organization's got some metrics i tend to try and work with those to make sure they're really relevant people are more productive morale is boosted teams are more effective relationships are enhanced there's more connectivity and that's a big deal for people at the moment is connection because we've been through a, a period of disconnect in the last couple of years so that's really important for people 
And it tends to show up in things like you've probably heard the term psychological safety. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge project that was done by Google a few years ago. And they found, I don't think that they were intending to find it, but they found that the most effective teams tended to be those that were most psychologically safe. And what that means essentially is that people can turn up as their selves to work without fear of negative consequence. And I personally believe that if you are authentic at work and you're bringing your best, you're bringing your your strength and your natural superpowers, and people love that and people thrive in those kinds of environments, as opposed to people who are trying to fit into a system that isn't quite working for them, or you've got a round peg, square hole, and, and all of that kind of thing, that people are trying to to hone their weaknesses and improve their weaknesses when actually we should be focusing on what people are naturally good at and what people are already really inspired and motivated to do and and bringing yourself to work through psychological safety is a really really huge factor in the most effective teams in the world according to google so who am i to argue with them right well mckinsey did a 10-year study of executives and they found that uh, they were looking at it slightly differently. It wasn't about happiness, but it was looking about executives in flow. And so can you be happy if you're just doing a job, right? So if you're not playing to your strengths, right, and it's a job, right, then, I mean, you're not going to be as good at it. I go out to restaurants all the time and I think to myself, these people, some of them, shouldn't actually be waiters because they obviously dislike members of the public and they don't have the interpersonal skills necessary to do it very well. And so obviously they've got some bills to pay, so here they are. But can they ever be happy doing a job? Well, you're, you're talking to some huge topics here. This is really <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think about the most useful response. I mean, there's there's something about people going through the motions every day. So positive psychology is very much about happiness and getting people to a place of of wellness. And people have to decide what that means for them. So of course, if you want to be a waiter and you're waiting, then your happiness is likely to be higher than somebody who is waiting and doesn't want to be a waiter. However, there's something about finding moments of happiness no matter what you're doing. And there's always going to be something about whatever position and whatever situation you're in that gives you that sense of wellness. There's a science behind it, which is all about happy hormones and how to engage your happy hormones. And But I think that that flow piece is, is really important. And that's really about, it's a bit different to mindfulness. But if people haven't heard of flow before, the best way to start thinking about it is to think about what you know about mindfulness. Because I think we've all heard of mindfulness by now, because it's taken the world by storm, and rightly so. And it's all about being in the moment with whatever you're doing or whatever conversation you're having and not thinking about other things that might be going on. It's thinking about the positive impact that this one thing is having on you and the the person you're with right now. So taking your example of waiting, then you might be having a really nice interaction with somebody at the table, and then your job is going to be much more enjoyable if you're connecting with your customers, for example. Or maybe you want to find out, maybe you're more interested in food than people. Maybe you want to find out from the chef about how he's creating these dishes or ask if you can spend some time in the kitchen and that might motivate and and grow another um, passion rather than waiting. There's there's got to be something about whatever you're doing that allows you to get into that state of flow. But what humans tend to do, because we have these massive frontal lobes which are overworking and overthinking all the time, we tend to think about the billion other things that we've got going on. 
So your person that's, that you've no- noted that isn't really, in your words, they shouldn't really be waiting staff because they're not enjoying their job. They might just be thinking, okay, I need to earn the money because I want to pay this bill or I need to earn the money because I want to buy this thing. And they're not in the moment because they're thinking about the next moment and the next moment. But the next moment never really comes because every time a moment arrives, it's this very moment. So all you've ever got is the here and now. And I'm talking about Eckhart Tolle's work now and the power of now. All you have is now. So if you don't do the best with this moment, you're not really living your best life. And so I often say to people, look, think about flow as the time that time slows down for you. Like, and the thing you do gives you energy. You could do it forever. So, you know, if you're a computer programmer and you could just program for bang, 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 you know, like love it, you're likely to be better than somebody who has to grind it out. And, you know, this, this is where procrastination comes in. If your job involves doing a thing that you don't enjoy, doesn't give you energy, you'll probably do the thing that does instead. And the McKinsey study was interesting because it said, look, executives who play to their strengths, who are in flow, are 500 times more productive than those that don't. And so, you know, by Monday, somebody who's great done done a week's worth of work compared to somebody who's just sort of grinding out a job. If you're in flow... It just seems to me you're likely to be happier. Absolutely. When you think about it in relation to a hobby or people's hobbies, if somebody told me, for example, if I wanted to get fitter and somebody said, okay, you need to go to the gym, I'm not motivated to go to the gym. But if they said, okay, maybe do more surfing and wakeboarding and sweet sea swimming, I would be all over that because I'm much more interested. And it's, what, it's called intrinsic motivation. And I use this in organizations a lot. We've got to find what people, the people in your organization are intrinsically motivated to do. And there's always yeah. something. And then it's finding that common ground and why all of those different individuals' intrinsic motivations are reaching the same goal. But what organizations tend to do is they do it the wrong way around. So an organization will say, here are our values and our behaviors that we want you as our people to live by. And that doesn't uh-huh. work for humans because we don't want to be told what our values are and we don't want to be told how to behave. We want to psychologically safely bring our true and authentic selves to work and understand how we are a really important cog in the the wider machine. Now, that doesn't say, okay, we're going to advocate for bad behavior. I'm not talking about that. You know, there's a job to do and we have to stick to certain roles and procedures and protocols, of course. But if we can all go into the workplace knowing that Okay, I am I'm Vic, you're Dom, and we're we're coming together and we've got this shared somewhere there's a shared want or desire, and that has got something to do with the vision of the organization. And everybody fits, it's just finding that common ground and letting people be people. Yeah, I think you talked about happy hormones, and I think maybe you could talk a bit more about that. Okay, pleasure. I love talking about the brain. I'm a bit of a brain geek, so that's pleasure. I did a a neuropsychology master's years ago and absolutely loved it. And it was only a year, but I learned so much in that time. And I try to remember so much about the brain and read up about it. So, So basically, we've got a lot going on in our minds. And most of the time, we feel the negative emotions like stress, worry, um, and, and all of that stuff that I think everybody can say they've they've had that a lot. And we notice these things because we might get a headache or we might shake or get flushed or feel sick or whatever it is. And we notice these physical manifestations of, of negative hormones. 
What we don't spend enough time with is positive hormones and happy hormones. So they're things like the, the hormones are called serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin and endorphins. They're the main ones. The physical manifestations we don't tend to recognize, but it, it can be similar, like a fluttery tummy or obviously a, um, feeling like you want to smile or feeling excited. Maybe your heart rate can rise and things like that. But what's happening is in the left prefrontal cortex in our brain, that's the bit that lights up when people are having joyous emotions or happy, excited emotions. And we know this from brain imaging research. And translating that into everyday life is that we're not all wired up to a brain imaging machine. So we need to recognize how we feel when we feel happy and create more of that. So what are we doing when we're feeling happy and good in the workplace? And how do we create more of that? And even bringing things from outside of the workplace, if we can. And I'm working with some some great organizations where we just there's more play and a bit more humor or silliness because a lot of people like that and it lightens the mood and we need that work isn't supposed to be a fully stressful environment all of the time and we need to boost the happy hormones at work as well as at home that play what what do you mean so play like when we're when we're young we're really great at everything like we're really great at play we're really great at being authentic we're great at expressing our emotions we just let it all out and then society tells you that you shouldn't do that when you grow up because it's inappropriate and I don't agree I think that we should be able to appropriately I guess appropriate is a good word but we should be able to express ourselves and but we become a bit shy we feel a bit silly especially culturally the Brits are known for you know being a bit we we don't want to make too much of a fool of ourselves (laughs) yeah and don't look too silly and we don't express ourselves as much as some other cultures and I think that's a a shame in some ways um and the workplace can be a really safe space to do that so so play might be you know do we do you play a ball game at the start of a um a meeting or do you have a I don't know pin the tail on the donkey which is relevant to whatever metrics you're trying to reach you can do anything at all do you have a a leader a scoreboard and a leaderboard based on and people love counting steps these days don't they and everybody's got their fitbits and things so there's there's something about play friendly competition um finding out more about what people really enjoy and and the way to get to that is one question i often ask is what did you love to do when you were a kid that you don't do anymore and people's faces light up because they have these memories of when they were younger. And normally it's about something that they used to play. Like, oh, I used to play this game with my parents or my sibling or with my friends. We used to pretend that this was happening. And pretense and play is a really nice leveler because everybody can do it, but people feel a bit silly. So everybody has a bit of a laugh. But people, it just, it kind of disarms people as well. So it really brings tension and stress out of a, a difficult situation. I think that's interesting because they, the whole what is the motivational impact of purpose in an organization it's you know if you get people to do stuff they're not enjoying or get people to change or get somebody to do something that's hard then you know your dopamine will go down but unless you've got some other thing to anchor to it'll get hard and you'll go back to where you were as opposed to pushing on through and that often that's the problem with the purpose an organization will come up with its purpose and it's just rubbish. I mean, it's just, just, there's no emotion attached to it at all. Yeah. And people make decisions based on emotions. That's what humans do. So there's got to be an emotion attached to it. Otherwise, people won't make the right decisions. And some people are more emotional than others, right? So some people are very in tune with their emotions and very good at 
recognizing them and expressing them and managing them and others aren't but collectively we need all kinds of different people so the emotion needs to come in to motivate the emotional types but also so that everybody can understand what impact it's having on people which is for me it's all about people yes of course I want to help an organization to reach its goals and progress but for me it starts with people and we are a lot of the time emotional beings wanting to help each other and customers yeah yeah well the the question being do we want to help people and customers well i'm guessing so it feels like that sort of an innate human thing service for well for some people although not all waiters i've ever met but yeah back to your waiters. you've had a bad experience with a waiter recently (laughs) do you know what it is it's it, it is because if i go to a great restaurant or a great bar. A great bar is a great example, right? Because, you know, bartender, 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 right? You know, and you go in and you say, somebody says, can I get you a drink? And you say, yes, I'll have a gin and tonic. And you get gin and tonic and ice in a glass. And it's like, okay, I met my expectation. I ordered it and I got what I wanted. But, you know, no smile, no chat, no joy, nothing to enrich the experience. And I remember going to a, a to a bar on my way to dinner with a colleague in Whistler in British Columbia. And we just popped in for a drink and I said, can I have a gin and tonic? And the guy said, oh, we've got some amazing sipping gins from this new distillery up the road. Pause five, says, look, take a sip of those. Which one would you like me to make a gin with? Have that. He goes, okay, I think the tonic to match is this. And, it, and he puts in some juniper berries and some other stuff and he shakes it up and, he, and, and it was just theatre. And so we sat there and it was more expensive. So we sat there, we had a gin and tonic, then we had another one, then we had another one. Then we said, have you got a menu? And we never actually went to dinner. We ate there. And so, you know, he was somebody who was on his game, enjoying it, enjoying what he was doing. And from a a business perspective, that had an impact on their bottom line. And it's just like, so if if I was running a bar or a restaurant, I would want people in my bar or restaurant to be people who love doing it. And I think that's the difference between the people who run a great restaurant or a great bar, the businesses that survived during COVID and those that went bust. Because the ones that just sort of went, it just needs to be good enough. We just need warm bodies. Yeah. You know, no customer loyalty, no repeat business, low margins, just, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the great example that you're talking about, they were probably really focused on their people. And that's exactly where I'm coming from. I think when you were talking about that, I was just imagining being in Whistler, which was a nice imagination moment. <laughs> so thanks for that. I was just imagining how they treat their staff and how they train them up and how they motivate them. And yes, it, it, it's got a lot to do with getting the right people and onboarding the right people from the beginning. So ideally, I would start with an organization that hasn't onboarded any people yet. And you talk about how do you get the right people that are going to really jump in two feet with your ethos and your purpose and your values. But most organizations are already set up and running by the time they come to me. So it's less about onboarding and more about how do you engage? How do you communicate? How do you get the best out of? So there's something, you're right, there's something about this person that was serving you was probably just naturally very passionate about, obviously about gin in particular. Yeah. And tonic, uh, probably more gin. But also there's something about authenticity for me and that sounds like a very authentic experience I think there is nothing worse than when you get customer service that is verbally or seemingly enhanced but you just know that it's not authentic 
So I think that's actually worse than your example of just getting the gin and tonic and the ice and the glass. <laughs> I think that having an inauthentic experience is actually worse for me personally because it kind of it makes you feel like the person really doesn't want to be there and they're they're almost pulling the wool over your eyes somehow and and I I'm not talking about bar staff now but I'm talking about I'm not going to mention any names but customer services or utility companies certain when you call the customer service department and you've got a problem and they say they're going to help you and they promise you the earth and then you end up even more frustrated because you've spent two hours on the phone and and actually and they say they'll call you back and they never do exactly yeah so you know what I'm talking about this is so common and this is inauthentic positivity and that's not good that's not good for it actually has more of a negative impact on your customer i think you're absolutely right and i think what's happened is they know they can't help you but they don't want any conflict with you so they tell you they can help you and they will help you yeah and and they know that you'll never talk to them again (laughs) so they can get away with it yeah and imagine this this is what gets me about work i think that people in the workplace should be living in the same way as we would work in our personal lives in this sense in that imagine if you were in a relationship with somebody and they did that it would be infuriating (laughs) and you wouldn't have a relationship at the end of it and I think you're exactly right these when you're talking about somebody on a phone that you're never going to speak to again it's very easy for them to just say okay well I'm not dealing with this I don't have to I can I can just not even tell the truth to this customer because there's no repercussion for me but we shouldn't be acting like that. You know, the, the relationship, client, customer base should be much more important. And relationships between staff as well, should, it's, it's much more important than that. I think in that sort of customer service scenario, though, that somebody will have been hired and they might have come in and they're thinking they are actually going to help people. And they probably end up learning how to behave from the people around them. And that's really the culture. It's like, you know, what is it? Not what we've written down, yeah. but it's just like how do actually people behave? And so do you, are you helping people like change that culture? Yeah, exactly. It, it is culture. And I know that that's a word that's probably a bit overused, but I don't know a better word for it. But it, to me, it's all about sustainability which is another great buzzword at the moment but it really is it's it's building a sustainable culture that's positive it's about leadership but it's also about connections between people who aren't in leadership roles it's about everybody bringing their best self into the workplace and having the autonomy and feeling like they've got the responsibility to make those decisions and not feeling like there's a negative snowball, as you say, with their peers that they can hear and, oh, maybe that's how we act around here. The psychological safety is being able to say, actually, I've come into this team with some really great ideas and I'm feeling like I'm being a bit, the energy's been sapped out of me because I'm hearing A, B and C from my neighbours across the across the bench. A psychological safety is being able to say that to a manager or, or a leader or even your peers and not have negative repercussions. So, so it's building a culture of safety, of openness, and it's all tied in with with the same the same stuff, I think. Yes. What about the people who just aren't any good at it? <laughs> right? They've brought their best selves to work, but they're just frankly, this isn't for them. Yeah, yeah. They're tricky. just rubbish at it. Tricky if they don't realise, right? Because that's a really difficult conversation. But it is a conversation. <laughs> I just I, I think there's either you know, there's a change there, isn't there? There's got to be a change. They're not in the right job, maybe. They don't realize maybe they need some support. Who knows? It depends. But 
But one thing I do always say is just have the conversation. We're so scared of having a conversation that might be come across as negative feedback or because what what and another thing I talk about a lot is what organizations tend to do is systematic reviews right so your employees will have a review professional development review they're sometimes called every six months or every 12 months or whatever it might be and this is the touch point that everybody dreads because it's a box ticking exercise it's a paper filling exercise nobody wants to do it and um, the the manager's sitting there thinking just want to get through this I've got other things to do the employee's sitting there thinking I hope this goes okay and doesn't have any negative repercussions everybody says the right thing and nobody's really that honest to me that's completely useless if that's how it's going it's a total waste of time it's a waste of time if that's if it's that's how it's going what's better is that if you have you have touch points all the time. You build into your culture that we talk about this. Have the conversation. You can insert swear with there. Have the blooming conversation, right? <laughs> I meet people all the time and they say, well, we've talked to our external HR consultancy and they've told us that we, you know, we can't do this and we can't do that. I said, just tell people. You know, I've, I've sat down people whose performance has been a problem. And I've said, look, today's your lucky day. I'm your fairy godmother, you get, but you only get one wish. What would you like me to? What wish would you like me to grant? And some of those people have said, "Can I leave now? I hate this job." And somehow they just kept coming to work every day, and they needed some impetus to make a change. Yeah, and putting them on a performance improvement plan probably wouldn't have been it. Exactly. The best organisations I work with with the best cultures will be very prepared for their people to leave if they're not happy because nobody wants that again liken it to any relationship in your personal life we've all been in relationships where we're not happy it's not good for anybody you want to you want to be able to leave an unhealthy relationship you want to be able to leave if there's something that actually you sh- you, you'd be better off doing something else it's the same at work absolutely the same but we get stuck we we worry about what to do next we we don't have the conversations and actually if somebody's if people have got a space to talk really openly quite often a lot of the things that they're worried about or those niggles are they're eradicated and they they can go away you know things bubble up because they don't have space we need to give some stage time and some limelight to everything that's going on in an organization no matter how difficult it is to speak about and that doesn't mean having conversations that just spiral and descend and you know I call it a moan fest I do not advocate moan fests at all but there has to be some stage presence for the stuff that's difficult and then it's a case of talking about growth mindset or locus of control or resilience to change or whatever it might be how do we move forwards what are we all on board with how do we see this being different what do we truly want create a vision board get playful play a game around it have you can have a snakes and ladders board you know when we've fallen down the snake you get back on a ladder that's snakes and ladders snakes and ladders would be a rubbish game if it was just ladders (laughs) (laughs) the whole point is there are things i don't know my (laughs) six-year-old is very unhappy when there are snakes on that board she'd be much happier (laughs) if it was just ladders well you're teaching your six-year-old some very important lessons in life oh absolutely (laughs) by having those snakes and there will be that's that's the thing but we, we still want to get to where we want to be so it's more about the process you know it shouldn't all be about the outcome and the end of the board game 
Um, I like the idea of infinite games. A friend told me about this not long ago. We have a lot of games, again, in our culture that are finite. So there's an end point and then you win and you're the winner and you've, you know, you've got all the properties on Park Lane on the Monopoly board or you've got to the end. Of- oh, no, look, that that feels like an infinite game. When was the last time you had a quick game of Monopoly? That is, that's like, should we play Monopoly? Oh, God, we haven't got three weeks. Let's not. That was a bad example, Dom, I admit. <laughs> But infinite games are things like, I don't know, like passing a Frisbee back and forth or whatever it might be, just something that, that just carries on and you pick it up and you have fun for a while and you don't have, there's no end point in life. Well, I mean, morbidly there is, but let's not get there. But there's no end point in life ever. We just, until we're not here anymore, we just, we have to keep going. I think if anybody, anybody, you, you me or any of the listeners can think about a time when they thought, I just want to achieve this goal and then you achieve it, life doesn't end there. You don't think, oh, okay, I've won at everything. I've completed level 100 and I don't have to do any more. What tends to happen is we habituate to that moment. Then we think, okay, what's the next thing? I want something more now. It's like lottery winners. They win the lottery. You'd think that would be, we all want to win the lottery. Don't have to do anything ever again. We can just win the lottery and that's, that's all sorted. Lottery winners say, yeah, I won the lottery. I was happy for a bit, but then your happiness goes back to baseline because you're not actually doing the right things to boost your happiness which is where I've come in you go back to baseline and then the money hasn't made you happy so that's a it's a success that it's kind of a hedonic success really it's good in the moment and it's great to have those that burst of happiness but but it's not real long standing wellness really what proportion of the population do you think have a growth mindset are you know so uh, let me phrase it slightly differently then 10 years from now everyone will be 10 years older most people will be a 10 years older version of the person they are today. What proportion of people won't be? What proportion of people will actually have made a deliberate decision to To grow? To grow, grow. I think. Um, In all honesty, and I never say I know the answer to things if I don't, I I don't know the answer to that. So I could only suppose, and I think, I think we've gone through a process in probably globally whereby we used to be better at growth and then we got really this is when we lived in communities and we served each other and we helped each other and there was more of a an awareness of the greater good and I think probably more of an awareness of how we're connected with with the outside world and nature and you know I'm really passionate about that as well and I think that we've gone through this process of we've become super thinkers now so we've we've developed these big frontal lobes as humans and we we think about everything we we just it's all cognitive we're, we're not as intuitive as we used to be and I think what's happening now is we're going through a process of realizing well-being is really important mental health is really important um the environment is really important we need to look after the planet and we're starting to realize and and for me that is huge in growth mindset because we're starting to change the way we think about ourselves, or the people around us and the world at large. And it's a change in your perception. It's a change in your mindset. And it's a change in your view of how you, how you live your life. And so I think we're, we're probably on the up and we've had a bit of a dip maybe. But that's just my view. I don't know. I've only been around for a relatively short period of time compared to the human race. But, but that's my view. Okay. And you wrote a great book called Free Happiness. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's it for? What, are you tr- what problem are you trying to fix? 
Who should read it? Yeah, who'd read it? Well, it's an accessible book for anybody who wants to be inspired to live their best life. So it's really, I wrote it because it's the kind of book I'd like to read. So I don't read a lot, but when I do read, the kind of books that catch me are the kind of books that make you feel good about your life no matter what's going on. And it makes you feel like, yeah, I can do this. So growth mindset, developing a can-do attitude, positivity. I love all that stuff. So I wanted to write something that I would love to read because I think that's authentic. And I don't think I could have written a book about something I'm not interested in, which ties back to what we're saying about culture and purpose and values and organizations. You can't do something unless you're genuinely motivated and passionate. So that was the the motivation. And who it's for really is it was intended to be for people who who wanted to, they were already feeling okay, or maybe not, but wanted to just be a better version of themselves. So as you're saying, you know, how do we grow? How do we develop? I wanted to give people real life stories that would resonate and people could say, oh, wow, yeah, okay. It's not just me that's gone through some really difficult stuff. But then as well as that, the science behind positivity and positive psychology, but broken down into really accessible nuggets of information really so that people can take away what do they do based on the science it's not it's not a textbook based on the science what can they do so there are tools and techniques in there as well and yeah it's just it's for everybody really but it's been it's been great I've had some really nice feedback about it from people who've taken it on board personally but what I'm most excited about is it's being it's it's not even a year old yet I published it just under a year ago but it's being bought by organizations now as part of their well-being strategy so they're giving it to staff as part of a, a wellness offering um, or it might be a re- part of a reward scheme and I'm even speaking at conferences now whereby people are buying the book for a seat at my conference so they get a book and then I talk about some topics in the book and then rather than paying me for a ticket they they get they buy a book and then they get to take it away. Very good very good well continue the good work with that one of the testimonials is from Richard Branson <laughs> And you did you did some work with him in the Virgin Islands, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. So after Hurricane Irma, which I'm sure people remember as uh, a few years ago, it was one of the most devastating things to happen in the Caribbean. And I got asked to go over there and help with mental health support because they they had a lot of physical support in rebuilding the buildings and the, the infrastructure that was completely decimated. It was, it was absolutely horrific and unimaginable. Um, devastation so I went out to help with mental health support because they didn't uh, apart from the main island Tortola on the other islands in the the British Virgin Islands they didn't really have um, mental health services so so I went out there I got asked to go and uh, work with the the Virgin staff on the islands because obviously Richard Branson owns Necker Island which is where my office was based for the for the month that I was out there which was very exciting and I said I would gladly go and work with the Virgin staff but I also wanted to work with the communities and they were absolutely happy with that obviously they wanted me to do that too so I worked very long hours for for the time I was there and it was it was an amazing amazing experience so I got to spend some time with with Richard which was lovely and he was really kind about the work that I was doing and and a really lovely chap and we had a lot of conversations and he yeah he agreed to to write a testimonial for my book and my my business as well Fantastic. Thank you. Vicky, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? About life in general? Anything. Yeah. Oh, open question. I, 
I wish that I'd known that just being yourself is really the best things. It's all about authenticity to me. I've been one of those people that's tried to fit in, that's tried to be someone I'm not when I was younger, you know, at school. I hated school because I didn't really feel like I was being myself, but I didn't realize it at the time. Or maybe not showing a part of yourself. I call it editing yourself. When you have to edit yourself, it's not okay. We, I believe you get one life. And if you're not being yourself and you're not being open and honest and true to yourself with other people, you're going to attract the wrong things. You know, you'll manifest the wrong things. I think to surround yourself with people who know you by being open is the best gift you can give to yourself and others. And I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning. There are times when I I don't say what I want to say or maybe I edit my behavior a bit. And But I notice it now and I check myself and I try to be really open and authentic with people people around me. And, and that way you, you just know you're living your life and you can't do anything else really. Fabulous. As well as free happiness, what other books have been inspiration for you on your journey or think people should pick up? Well, I was inspired a lot for the book, actually, but also just in life by Brené Brown. So she is from Texas, which I love because I lived in Texas for a while when I was younger. But that's not the reason I love it. It's just an added bonus. But she writes, I could recommend any of her books, to be honest. I've got Daring Greatly on my desk right now. But she's written loads. Braving the Wilderness is the last one I've read. And that was amazing. I read that a couple of times. And she writes very much about life. And she's she's also quite inspiring. And and in the same way that I'd hope my book is, you pick it up and you read it and you think, yes, I can do this thing. I can do this life and I can be my best. So I definitely recommend anything by her. And then I think not such a specific in terms of author, but a lot of the books on my bookshelf are about, I'm looking at it now, about travel so I'd probably recommend books around, you know, if you're, I've got a wild guide there, wild camping, wild swimming, you know, get out there, buy a book about something that you love. And if you, if you fancy trying, I think we need to explore the world more and really connect with nature. So I definitely buy a wild guide. They're called wild guides. And I think they've got them for various regions in, in the UK at least. And, and they're brilliant because they get you out into interesting places that you might never go to otherwise. Well, I, I was uh, listening to something recently where they were talking about the impact on PTSD of cognitive behavioral therapy. So they did that and said, okay, well, we know what the results are. Then surfing <laughs> and then meditation and, and actually found that surfing had the biggest impact just because it's that whole mind-body experience. It's difficult to be thinking about anything else whilst you're surfing. You're in flow, Dom. You were talking about flow earlier. Yeah. I actually, yesterday I went wakeboarding and I, I've only done it a couple of times. And my word, I did not think about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got a few sore muscles today and definitely face planted the water a few times. It was not elegant, but it was, I was completely in flow. And you're right. I had a great time. I've been talking about it ever since. want to do it again. It's motivating. It, it's it's wonderful to switch off your brain again. It's back to the, the frontal lobes that are working too much. We're we're so stressed and overwhelmed, and we've got a constant mental chatter. We need to get out there in nature, doing something that we can find as a hobby with others or on our own, and really interacting and switching everything else off. Fabulous, and that, I love the idea of of play and that play at work that whole you know an emotional connection with other people is is, is a similar thing yeah yeah so, maybe just not monopoly 
<laughs> whatever, whatever. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a game dictator. You, if people love Monopoly. Knock yourselves out. Brilliant, Vicky. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Dom. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.